Welcome to the Elevate the Vibe podcast, bringing you juicy convos with thought leaders discussing the wild world of parenting. If you can imagine this Coke can cylindrical type shape, that is what makes up your core. And so men who hold their breath when they're weightlifting or just anything in general that can lead into breath holding, that can cause increased pressure on the pelvic floor of the abdominal wall, which can then lead to incontinence, pelvic pain, hernias, any sort of those things can lead into why your pelvic floor might be talking to you a little bit more. What's going on there, Shug? Well, babe, it is 9.43 at night. 9.43 Pacific Display Time, PDT. Or PST. No, I think it's PDT, isn't it? No? Is it standard? Is display time. I don't know. PD, PDT. <laughs> PDT. <laughs> so it's uh, almost 10 p.m. at night. There you go. On <laughs> Monday. Mm-hmm. You have consistently been saying today is Tuesday because we are in day 497 of quarantine now. Yeah, I think it's been Tuesday like six times today. We were out with Sammy and I was just like, hey, buddy, happy Tuesday. And he was just like, what are you talking about? I mean, I have not left the house in the past month for pretty much anything. I did go to the post office about three weeks ago. And that was the last time that I've had any human contact outside of this house. I didn't even want you to go then either. I was like, ah, let me take that package there. But you insisted on seeing some daylight. So I decided to unshackle you from the desk and, uh, you know, let you go on your merry way there. But since then, uh -uh, yes, I'm a a strong, independent, post office bound woman. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And when you need stamps, you will get those. If I want to mail a package that's too large to fit in the local post carrier. You got the same problem that I do. Your package is way too big to fit into those small post office holes. All right. So speaking (laughs) of tiny post office holes, (laughs) today's guest is Dr. Christina Vivit, and she is a doctor of physical therapy for pelvic healing. Now, I was not familiar with pelvic healing or that there were physical therapists focused on this until after I gave birth to our little babe. Yeah, I mean, I thought the pelvis was just a bone. I didn't think about all the muscles that were in there, but my God, there's just a plethora of muscles in there that are just keeping everything in check. And it's something you don't think about. But it was awesome to learn from her that it's such an elaborate mechanism that holds up our entire digestive system amongst everything else, man. Like the pelvic floor is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. I ended up going to see Dr. Vivit after Sammy was born because I had diastasis recti and I also tore during labor as well. So we talk about degrees of tearing. Mine wasn't as bad as some other women may experience, but Anybody can see a doctor for this. I mean, we talk extensively about reasons why men would have to see Mm -hmm. a doctor like this, even children. Yeah, I mean, it's really something that could happen with anybody. It's like the gym is a spot where men tend to tear muscles all the time from improper lifting techniques. Like you can turn your six pack into two, three packs splits right down the middle. It's not odd. I mean, it's normal. Apparently, it's just something that's not spoken about, which is why we are trying to raise awareness for a very common problem. Yeah, so I was very grateful to work with Dr. Vivit. She was able to help me heal my diastasis and close up the space that was in my abdomen that happened from just growing a baby when I gave birth to my little one. So this conversation's pretty enlightening. You'll definitely hear the passion that Dr. Vivit has for what she does. And without further ado, we will introduce her. Dr. Vivit is a doctor of physical therapy focused on pelvic healing for all genders and life stages. She's an avid health researcher assessing areas of preventative health in prepartum and postpartum women along with immigrants and refugees. She's passionate about living life wholeheartedly, intentionally, and raw. Let's welcome Christina to the show. So welcome, Christina. Thank you. Yes. So today we have with us Dr. Christina Vivit, who is a pelvic floor physical therapist, 
Yes. yes. So yes. before we dive into the world of pelvic healing, I want you to talk a little bit about where you grew up, your background, sort of what led you into the world of PT. Sure. So my name's Christina and I am a movement, community health, and pelvic health advocate. Um, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs and I did my training in St. Louis, Missouri for my undergrad and doctorate. And then I have taken numerous continuing ed classes to specialize in pelvic floor health. And what has led me to wanting to go into pelvic health is I think it's really interesting and fascinating how different cultures and just in general people, we view pelvic health so differently and diving into the barriers of what people you know may or may not have in order to seek guidance, help, or even just talk about their pelvic health issues is silly because the pelvis and the pelvic floor is just as functional as our elbow in order to feed ourselves, you know, when reaching for a cup, a fork, whatever. And your pelvic floor is just as functional as your heart and your liver, all of those things, yet it's something that we really ignore. Um, so kind of diving a little bit deeper into that, that's how I started my journey in pelvic health, with just wanting to normalize the pelvic floor just as much as we normalize the tissues around our elbow. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, when you think about physical therapy and you're headed to a doctor of physical therapy, typically it's because maybe something has happened on a part of your body that you can see and touch yes. and feel. So you think like, okay, well I had a torn ACL and I needed to get surgery. So I'm yes. going to have physical therapy on my knee. Whereas the pelvic floor, it's like, all right, I pee, I poop, you yes, know. Yes, I get intimate with yes. people. Everyone mm. gets intimate with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's not and, something goofy to talk about. No. But you don't necessarily think about that area of your body being a series of muscles that may need the same attention as some of the external bony parts of your body. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting that you talked about an ACL tear because in pelvic health, we will still see the traditional knee, foot, and ankle cases because they also play a role in what your pelvis is also looking like and how the function is too. And so just as the way an ACL tear will affect the way you're able to walk, run, stay balanced, a vaginal tear with birth also affect the way you're able to pass a bowel movement, you're able to pee, um, are you having any sort of leakage front or back, and are you able to tolerate any sort of penetration, which can then also impair your quality of life, daily function, just as much as an ACL tear would too. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I mean, there's so many jokes after like a mom gives birth, like, yes. oh, I laugh and then I pee myself or like I jump and I pee myself. In all fairness, you peed yourself before you were pregnant. <laughs> multiple I'm times. not just saying me personally. Yeah, right. It's not a, it's yeah. not a cause and effect for <laughs> right, me personally. Yeah. It's a cause, cause is like, yeah. Right, right. I just yeah. want to get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's so many women that think that, okay, well, post baby, that's something that you just have to deal with. Absolutely. Because it's quote unquote common, but not normal. Right. Exactly. Yes. And also let's change and um, elevate the vibe Love. per se on the <laughs> fact of pregnancy is not a disability. No. You know, let's get people moving comfortable and recovering well after pregnancy and during the postpartum phase let's not make it a disability let's honor our bodies and the beautiful thing that your body was just able to do in order to have your new baby enter this life and honor the woman's body and get her to function heal and move Mm -hmm. as good as possible i do want to talk a little bit about some of the common issues that you see for men women who are not pregnant, haven't had a child, what are some of the more common pelvic healing needs for those patients? Yeah, so let's talk about men first. So with men, um, men also have pelvic floors too. And before I talk about the pelvic floor, let me share a little bit more about what it is. So it's a basket of muscles. So it starts right up at your pubic bone. So that's the bone right toward the front here um, in your pelvis. And then it slings all the way underneath 
and it's I, I like to say undercarriage it's pretty much your body's undercarriage it slings from the pubic bone all the way to your tailbone and so what the pelvic floor supports is bladder uterus and in men your prostate and rectum and so we all have pelvic floors if we didn't have a pelvic floor we would pee and poop everywhere <laughs> yeah and organs would just kind of fall down <laughs> your legs organ, right yeah. <laughs> like, an organ have to, will like, come out and say hi yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh so, i don't know what that is or, you know, pull that up yeah yeah so men and women have pelvic floors and so something that we see in men too is um urinary leakage pelvic pain um let's say a guy went through prostate radiation for cancer they also can encounter issues like urinary incontinence, um, pelvic pain, urinary urgency, as well as men who have abdominal hernias. So in terms of an abdominal hernia, so not only do we have the pelvic floor as our undercarriage, but we also have the abdominal wall that shares attachments with the pelvic floor onto the pubic bone, and then your diaphragm on the top. And so thinking about, oh, and then you've, we've got our back. So we've got our pelvic floor, abdomen, your back, and your diaphragm so if you can imagine this coke can cylindrical type shape that is what makes up your core and so pelvic floor being included in that um, men who let's say hold their breath when they're weightlifting or just anything in general that can lead into breath holding we can start to see increased pressure in the abdominal cavity which can then lead to hernias men or women but that can also warrant that system of which makes up your core there is an imbalance there of which can also lead to if there's increased laxity or pressure on the abdominal wall from chronic constipation issues, chronic straining from constipation, breath mechanics when exercising, if you tend to be a breath holder, that can cause either weakening or increased pressure on the pelvic floor of the abdominal wall, which can then lead to later issues like incontinence, pelvic pain, um, hernias, prolapse, any sort of those things can lead into why your pelvic floor might be talking to you a little bit more. So really so interesting. For the average Joe or yes. average dude that maybe finds himself holding his breath. Yes. Unconscious or not, or I mean consciously. I generally but... don't breathe at all. I'm always just walking around like, uh, like, yeah. So let's say that you know you're working out or you're in a situation where you sort of notice like okay I I actually am holding my breath all the time when I'm lifting weights or when I'm you know it uh, participating in this activity in CrossFit I sort of hold yes. my breath. What is a few steps or sort of a, a key indicator? for those individuals that you would say okay when you notice you're doing this stop and take this action yes okay so um that is a great question because in order to solve a problem we have to identify where the dysfunction occurs first and so let's take it i don't know let's say someone has increased groin pain when they're lifting at the gym so let's take a look at what you're doing at the gym. So whether it's during a certain lift that you're feeling a little bit more of that groin pressure or pain or during a certain movement, let's look a little bit further into how you're doing this activity that's more aggravating to you. And so not only will we look at, you know, what's going on in their abdominal cavity with the way that they're exerting pressure or they're using their breath mechanics to help with a certain movement, but I'm also going to look at their foot and ankle. What's their knee doing? What are their hips doing? Because that can play a role in that balanced core cylinder that I was telling you about earlier. Imagining a Coke can that is your pelvic floor, your abdomen, your back, and your diaphragm. We would look further into seeing, okay, what are your breath mechanics like when you are um, doing this movement or lift? Are you breathing? And when are you doing your breath? So are you breathing at the top, at the bottom? Whatever. So I think the main thing that I always tell patients with um, any sort of breath holding is exhale on exertion or exhale on execution, execution of movement, execution of coming back up from a squat, especially thinking about the nature of how much weight you're also putting on your body on top of holding your breath. That's a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor or the abdomen, which can then over time cause 
weakening, increased laxity, and poor support. So always match breath with what you're doing. So exhale on execution. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it's not just women who maybe have had a child that experience an issue or symptom. Absolutely. And it, it, a man could think like, well, I have this pain. I'm, maybe I'm lifting too much weight. Well, maybe it's not the weight at all. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. A it's a me- bad technique at yes. the gym. Well, <laughs> that too. Could be, the, could be a little bit of that. Yeah. But it could be breath mechanics. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it could be something as simple as when you focus a little bit more on the mechanics of your breath, when you're inhaling, when you're exhaling, you can work with your body to sort of dissipate absolutely and who would have thought really that those breath mechanics that you use can play such a huge role on your pelvic floor too and with the breath it's more like holding your breath it's more of like the action of tensing all of your muscles while you hold your breath versus like the lungs themselves i mean because the lungs themselves what do they have to do with it yeah so it's more like if you're holding your breath you're you're, you're like tightening everything else in addition to not breathing. Right. So it's like, it's really like that tightening of the muscle. And then you're putting up the 800 pounds or whatever I normally bench. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's like, or the 30, 30 pounds. I was going to say, let's remove two zeros <laughs> yeah, off eight, that 800. Yeah, yeah eight. I don't get to the gym often as, enough as I'd like. Uh, but yeah, so it's more of just that, that, that hold pressure that like you're pushing that pressure down. Yes. Exactly. You're really good at that strain sound. When I've been practicing, (laughs) I I knew this was coming up. The pelvic floor person would be here. I wanted to show her He was practicing this morning in the bathroom. Yes. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. I'll see you in clinic next week. Five times. I made an appointment for you. (laughs) Thank you. I need an appointment. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess it's, it's more of the act of tightening all of your muscles during that tense moment tightening all your muscles along with thinking about so anatomically so i said earlier how the pelvic floor is like this undercarriage right and so what is above that undercarriage we have pretty much all your abdominal organs so thinking of your intestines your colon liver stomach all those contents on top of the other systems so We've got the pelvic floor is the undercarriage and then the diaphragm is wedged on the top. And so as your chest cavity expands, the diaphragm pistons down and the pelvic floor also follows it. And so seeing this as a relationship of pressure dispersion and movement, if we're holding our breath, that's a lot of pressure being put. So chest cavity is open. Let's say someone's holding on their inhale and then they're holding their breath and so their diaphragm is pushing down mm-hmm. on all those abdominal organs which mm-hmm. is then pushing down on the pelvic floor yeah. and if, if you're holding that in a sustained way with a lift especially with the excess weight coming in from whatever you're lifting with that is a lot of pressure to be having mm-hmm. if you're a breath holder so that is how that works that makes sense yeah, yeah. now yeah. what about for some of the mamas out there Not necessarily women that have had a child yet, but if they're prenatal, in their pregnancy, what are some of the most common issues you see with them? Yeah, that's a good question. So something that we typically see is when I get out of the car, when I roll in and out of bed, when I go from sitting to standing, I'm feeling a little bit of pelvic pain or pain right where my pubic bone lies or hip pain. So thinking about the nature of pregnancy. So with pregnancy, you have increased laxity and give in your ligaments and tissues in order to allow for proper uterine growth. We need that increased laxity. However, something that can follow that is your muscles talking to you a little bit more because they're trying to figure out how to work with your body a little bit better during this period of your life. And so um, pubic bone pain is something that I see very common with pregnant women. Lightning crotch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lightning crotch. Yes, yes. Anything, my groin, there's something pulling on my groin, anything of that nature. So um, one thing, one modification that you can do is think of rolling like a sausage. <laughs> so... <laughs> like at 7-Eleven, the little sausage. Yeah, little exactly. Yeah, yeah. Think of that. Not that I've ever eaten one of those. I don't Great. Yes. yes. So okay, we're thinking so, of the LA hot dogs on uh, the cart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So 
Yeah, LA Street Dogs. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so with the rolling, so a lot of so any sort of uh, single leg movement challenges that pelvic girdle stability, support, um, thinking of increased. Uh, shearing forces at the pubic bone, anything of that nature might cause those symptoms. So back to the LA Street Dogs, we want to roll in and out of bed with our knees together. And so if you're on your back, go on your side first and then push up with your arms at the edge of the bed in order to allow for one, better stability to your pelvis and better um, support so that your muscles aren't talking to you as much, but also two, um, getting in and out of the car, thinking of going in and out a little bit more robotically. So not just stepping out, but turning your body and Mm -hmm. then coming out. Um, that can also help. What about postpartum ladies? So let's talk about postpartum in a way where we're thinking of all the things that we don't like talking about. Um, You know, yay, baby's here, we're all happy. But let's focus on the mom who's trying to heal. Common, but not necessarily normal after a certain amount of time. Um, Something that we see is the urinary leakage. And so I think... What people tend to walk away with after having a baby is, I need to do Kegels, I need to do Kegels. Kegels are not always the answer, people. I think a lot of people think that you need to start doing Kegels. And so when I say Kegel, I mean that tightening and relaxing of the pelvic floor. So just as if I'm like trying to do a bicep curl with my bicep, it's the same idea where the pelvic floor is also contracting, relaxing, contracting, relaxing. So... Let's take urinary leakage, for instance. So with urinary leakage, it's not always the pelvic floor is, my pelvic floor is not strong enough in order to, you know, support me so I don't leak. The pelvic floor can be in a overactivated, tightened state. So let's take, for instance, a mom just had a baby, had a baby, and then she had a little bit of a tear. And so with the tear, so I want you to think, so this is a really interesting example. So think, and when you say tear, yes. just for maybe somebody that hasn't had a child. Vaginal yet. tear. Yes. So that's where at the opening yes. of the perineum, mm-hmm. there is a very small bit of skin that sort of tears open. It can be a small bit yes. of skin. It can be a good amount of skin. Or it could, yes, or yeah. it can even go into muscle. It <laughs> could even go into muscle. Yes. It can go deep. It can go deep. Inside. inside. It's not always exterior. Yes, yeah. inside, vaginally, and it can go all the way down to the anal opening, too. So thinking about the degree of those tears, it tears through skin. It tears through muscles. It tears through connective tissue. You want to make sure that you're taking good care of your tissues after birth, um, especially if you had a tear. So... Given our graphic description of this tearing process, think (laughs) of, so if you're at the beach and you step on a sharp shell and your foot kind of caves around that shell as a guarding protective mechanism, our body senses that a tissue threat has been introduced to the system. And so in response to that, your tissues guard and protect to then tell you to walk away from that sharp shell. So back to the vaginal tearing example, the vaginal tear is seen as that tissue threat. So a threat has been introduced to the system. In response to that, tissues will guard and protect, which can then impair function on the pelvic floor muscles. And so when you do Kegels, if your tissue's already in that guarding protective state, you're pretty much just taking a contracted muscle and just giving it even more contractions and you're making it a little bit more irritable. So that might not be your best option um, postpartum, especially if you're having urinary leakage. So in that case, it's really good to see a pelvic floor physical therapist to see, okay, what does my pelvic floor look like? And do I need to lengthen it first? So get those tissues out of that sharp shell stage where we're neutralizing and normalizing the tissues. So they function just like the tissues around your elbow, for instance. And then we build up from there. Or are my tissues in a good place where they have that good mobility and length, but we need to do a little bit more strengthening now in order to get you out of that urinary leakage state. So it really depends. So big takeaway from that is do not go straight to doing Kegels after birth. (laughs) Something that I found fascinating about pelvic floor therapy is that you also work with trauma patients, patients that have experienced some sort of 
sexual trauma or another form of trauma to that area. And it it may not necessarily be like I was working out and this happened, but it could be from something a little bit deeper and more emotional. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think these are things that, you know, society wise, we don't like talking about, but human trafficking is a huge issue in our country, in the world, you know? And so sometimes we'll see, you know, previous victims of trafficking that's coming in with pain with any kind of penetration. So let's say it can be, you know, as small as a tampon or it can be, you know, they've gotten out of their situation and now they're with a healthy, sustainable, um, good partner, but then they're still having trauma from any sort of penetration that comes in. And so that can be a really tough situation where not only are we working with, you know, the local tissues, but also working together with our, um, our colleagues in psych and mental health to be able to effectively process through that trauma on a mental health standpoint, but also addressing the actual physical tissue changes that have possibly occurred from those traumatic events. I want to also talk about what someone can expect when they come in yeah. for an appointment. And I want to talk about it as far as maybe somebody that's coming in from a perspective as a male or um, maybe a woman that's having issues not necessarily related to pregnancy or or postpartum, but I also want to talk about it as far as a victim of trauma as well. So sort of both. Yeah. So, um, anyone, anyone who comes in, you can be, you know, coming in with pain or you want to come in preventative wise. You're, you know, thinking of having a baby, you want to know, you know, how to better prepare yourself. Um, so we take a very thorough history Um, so we take a thorough history of not only what are the symptoms that you're coming in with, but, um, medical history. We talk a lot about too, because a lot of, um, conditions that are a little bit more inflammatory in nature. So thinking about, um, endometriosis, lupus, um, arthritis, any of those issues that are inflammatory in nature can also affect, um, the vulnerability of the pelvic floor too. So we look a little bit further into your medical um, history as well as overall self-care habits um, and get a good clinical picture of who you are as a human. Um, in conjunction with screening for any sort of trauma. So I know some clinics have a little section on their intake sheet or, you know, if someone's not comfortable with putting that on there, I never really push it, you know, for anyone. Let's say if someone left it blank, um, I always start with just, you know, before I even ask any specific questions to my patients, I always just um, tell them, tell me a little bit more about your story, you know, before I ask any sort of specific questions. And so I always make sure that the patient is in the driver's seat. So um, I want them to feel as empowered as possible as they're in that chair um, telling me a little bit more about their story and if someone feels comfortable with disclosing trauma that's great but if someone does not then I never push it because trauma is very sensitive and so I pretty much let the patient you know tell me about everything whatever they're comfortable with to get a better clinical picture of who are you as a human and um, what are the things not only that you're coming in with but things leading up to this point that have made you a little bit more vulnerable to why you might be hurting or moving a certain way or whatever so um, that is a subjective part of the appointment and then after that we go into our physical exam oh pelvic floor exam so <laughs> it's not as scary as you think but let's take a little bit Um, of a closer look into what this exam entails. So not only do we look at your pelvic floor internally and externally, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, but we also look at how your back's moving, how your hips are moving. Um, what are, you know, what are your walking mechanics? Like what are your running mechanics? Like let's say for instance, um, if someone has urinary leakage with running or, you know, a little bit more pelvic pressure when they're running, um, Yes, of course we're going to look at how you're running because that's going to play a big role in what we need to fix in order to get you to heal better. Um, So we look at your running mechanics, your walking mechanics, how you get in and out of a chair, um, your strength, all of those different things, um, thinking of 
foot, ankle, hips, knees, on top of getting a better look at your abdominal wall. Um, we can do a diastasis check. Um, we can also look at the tissue mobility of how you know your tissues are gliding and sliding on top of each other, um, as well as if there's any sort of holding, guarding patterns throughout your muscles that can also play a role in how that muscle is able to effectively function, um, not only in itself, but together with the rest of the muscles. Um, and you'll do like a physical touch feel for that. Yes. Yes. So it's not necessarily like an x-ray or an ultrasound. Yeah. Yes. So our hands are on the patient and, um, along with the hands being on the patient, like I said, if someone comes from a background of trauma, it's really key that you are being aware of that and you're asking permission, you're informing the patient throughout the whole process of this is what we're doing, are you okay with this? Or you know, making the patient feel comfortable in this space that you're in to speak up for themselves if they are feeling a little bit uncomfortable with something and respecting those wishes. Um, and so uh, we talked about looking at your hips, your low back, um, how you're moving, your knees, um, your belly, and then, so pelvic floor wise, we look at the muscles and the tissues externally. So seeing if there's any sort of redness, irritation, because who actually looks down there? <laughs> I don't think a lot of people are looking down there on a normal basis. So, you know, we could be one of the first people that are like, hey, <laughs> you might want to get that checked out. Or, you know, so we always look at tissue quality externally as well. Like when um, you're doing a high kick in the mirror naked and you don't notice that <laughs> you're like, I, I didn't see that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then, um, so the internal portion. So I want you to think of the pelvic floor as like a bowl. And so when you go up vaginally, the sides of the bowl is what makes up the pelvic floor. And so we really don't go in that deep. So um, a pelvic floor exam, it's not like at the gynecologist where your foot are on a speculum and your pelvis is like, hey, everyone what's up take a look at me <laughs> we drape your um your pelvis and we want to make sure that you are in the most comfortable spaces possible in order to have an internal exam because some people are really uncomfortable with it it's a sensitive area totally understandable from wanting a little bit more you know covering draping whatever you need to make yourself feel comfortable in that space um so we go in with the gloved finger and we just look at the sides of the vaginal wall to check out just as if i was looking at your knee what's your range of motion like are you able to contract and from your contraction are your muscles able to fully relax and lengthen just as if you were bending and straightening your knee and i was looking at your knee range of motion um, we look at your pelvic floor mobility we look at tissue quality so with certain um, cueing we can see what kind of uh, tissue quality so increased laxity per se um, maybe on the anterior wall where the bladder sits or the posterior wall where the rectum sits to see if there's any sort of um, increased laxity which can then result in one an imbalance in that system but also two those symptoms of ah, i feel like a tampon's falling out when i'm doing certain things um, so we look at tissue quality we look at muscle coordination we look at not only pelvic floor muscle coordination in itself but also muscle coordination with um, the rest of your body so like let's say for instance someone is saying okay i have um i have leakage with running or you know when i get in and out of a chair so I'll have one um, one of my gloved fingers inside looking at the pelvic floor and then I'll have another hand on their abdomen or on their hips to see, okay, as you contract, let's say if I cue them to do a bridge, um, as you're contracting your glutes with this bridge, what is the pelvic floor doing too? Is the pelvic floor getting a nice co-contraction with your glutes along with your deep abdomen to see what the quality of that contraction is like? Because in those instances, it's not just is the pelvic floor strong enough um, to make sure that I'm not leaking, it's how is it coordinating with the muscles in my hip and in my deep belly that create this picture of why I might be leaking when I'm doing a certain activity. Another thing too that's super interesting is looking at coordination with People who, you know, if you tend to have, const if, if you are a very constipated person and it's been that way for a while, as you're pushing, I, I cue patients. So again, I have a gloved finger inside and I cue patients. Okay, 
bear down like you're trying to pass gas or a bowel movement and i see what the quality of the pelvic floor uh, movement is like along with their abdomen if they're activating the right muscles in order to allow for that effective gentle bearing down as you're trying to have a bowel movement so my finger inside is seeing okay when you're bearing down is your pelvic floor tightening or is it lengthening? Because if your pelvic floor muscles are tightening, of course you're not gonna let the passage of poop through. Your muscles are doing something, you know, counter to what you want them to do because instead of trying to relax and lengthen, they're tightening. So your poop is gonna be like, ah, let me out, but I can't get out. <laughs> like Mr. Hanky. What about if the patient is male and you can't? We go in rectally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Way, yeah. So, so I was going to say, so, not through the pee hole, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yes. a t- yeah. difficult journey, that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so we'll go in rectally with females too, depending on what they're coming in with. Let's say someone's having tailbone pain. Well, of course, you know, looking around the tailbone might be a little bit more warranted too. But so for men, we'll also do the same exact thing. All those things that I was talking about with the pelvic floor, we can do rectally. Mm. Or we can do an external assessment too and feel the muscles externally um, to see what are what's going on there. So if you're not comfortable with an internal exam, external is okay too. We can extract more information out of an internal exam, but again, respecting the patient's comfort, um, it's always important to gauge what they're comfortable with in order to get a good assessment. So rectally, we can go in for men to see all of those different things as well. Now, what about young children? Do you ever have like... Yeah. Anybody under 18 or mm-hmm. somebody that would need a parent present? What yeah. Is that like? Yeah. So um, we don't really do internal. Ex- I mean, for me as a therapist, I don't do any internal exams on minors. Um, but for some people who work in pediatrics or some people who are a little bit more comfortable with that, they can do them um, if they want. But um, something that we commonly see with children is either bedwetting or urinary leakage throughout the day or um, a little bit more of a harder time with potty training or chronic constipation. Your kids who are eating chicken nuggets and fries for every single meal, (laughs) that might affect the way they're able to evacuate their bowels. And so we want to get that shit moving. (laughs) (laughs) Quite literally. Yes, because... We don't want kids having this excess pressure on their pelvic floor, um, you know, for chronic constipation. Not only is there excess pressure, but also that can cause the tissue. So back to our example with as you step on a sharp shell at the beach, your foot kind of caves around the sharp shell as a guarding protective mechanism. Those tissues along your colon will also sense that irritation and that backup and will also guard and protect, which can then impair the motility of their systems. So... Um, a lot of what we see in kids, we help um, with kids who are either chronically constipated or having bedwetting issues or urinary leakage throughout the day. And certain things that we might do is maybe get them on a toileting schedule or get a better idea as to um, what their liquids intake, food intake is throughout the day, what their potty habits are like. And so we'll do a bladder diary. We'll send um, parent and child home with a bladder diary to record, you know, what they're drinking, how much they're drinking, what kind of urge they felt, what kind of leakage that they got. Um, how many times are a night are you going? Are you leaking at night? All those different things. So back to, you know, looking at the functional things that they're doing throughout the day, getting a good read on. So, okay, these, all these tests that we do in clinic are great, but really honing in on what you're doing throughout the day and give and empowering the patient and the and the parent to you know record all of these things so then we can look at it together and i always tell patients it's not me telling you what to do or me fixing you we're working together yeah there's ownership in the healing process on the patient side it's not just like okay well i come in for my one hour appointment once a week and why am i not healed yet like there's a little bit more work 100%. Have you ever seen tears that are to such a point that they require actual surgery on the pelvic floor? Yeah, so something, so instead of tears necessarily that we'll see, so because they'll usually stitch it after, Mm -hmm. um, but something that we commonly see that uh, maybe, you know, would warrant a surgical intervention is prolapse. So if someone has a really gnarly prolapse where, so prolapse is when your bowel, uh, when your bladder, when your rectum or when uterus comes down and says hi to you mm. <laughs> and says hi to you for 
too long of time and not only is it saying hi to you but it's also affecting the way you're able to pass a bowel movement or go to the bathroom so think of prolapse as you have your vaginal wall coming up and the walls are just depending on where your prolapse is one of the walls might have just a little bit more give which can then cause a little bit of a kink in um, how that organ is coursing so let's say let's take the bladder for instance so um, if someone has a bladder prolapse and their bladder is coming out a little bit to say hi you can see how that can also affect um, the way the course is to come out and pee because there might be a little kink in where the bladder and then the bladder neck and the urethra how that's all coursing um, which can then result in if there's excess given laxity in that area a little bit of urine can be left in that little kink there which can then affect the way oh when i go to the bathroom it still feels like i have to go um, after you know a couple minutes or when i cough sneeze or laugh i get a bit a little bit of leakage so that pocket of urine that gets left can also be part of that um, not to say that everyone has that, but let's just take prolapse for instance. If the symptoms are so severe and the prolapse is so large, that can also possibly warrant surgical intervention along with, there are some devices, they're called pessaries and you can get them fitted um, by a urogynecologist for instance. They're like little devices um, that you can get fitted for to insert vaginally to better support those tissues. I know that also another common issue that maybe not just related to like a trauma victim or a male or a female, but the situation where your abs separate. Yes. So diastasis. That is a hot topic. So let's talk about that. So um, that is really interesting where I think everyone commonly thinks of it as, oh, my muscles are separated. What do I do? I like telling patients it's not a separation necessarily of your muscles. So with pregnancy, as you have uterine growth and baby grows bigger, 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 if our abdominal wall didn't have any give, then how is that baby gonna grow? You have to have increased laxity of the abdominal wall in order to allow for uterine growth. And so with the diastasis, people are like, ah, it's separated. It's not separated. It's just maybe that laxity is still there and it's hanging on to you a little bit longer and there needs to be a little bit more support to the abdominal wall in the muscles. And so I wanna talk a little bit more about what a diastasis is. So like I said, it's a, widening and increased laxity of the abdominal wall which makes those two column muscles so your rectus abdominis the six-pack muscles makes them seem like they're a little bit further apart yeah so when you're two look- three packs yeah. <laughs> two, two three packs of sausage yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when- no, not the salt rolling sausage like patties not the legs. like a hamburger patty yes yes so when you're <laughs> looking at someone front on if you were to almost visualize this from this point of view, it would look like two columns, like your abs are almost in two columns. And that little line that sort of runs between Mm -hmm. your abs, that space can grow Mm -hmm. in in distance Mm -hmm. and depth. Depth, yes, distance and depth. So exactly, Katie. So thinking about distance and depth, um, we measure it in finger width. So um, we pretty much sink our fingers into the middle of your belly and we ask you to do a couple of movements to see what the tissue response is. So we look at depth because what's attached to that linea alba, that connective tissue in between those two muscles, what's attached to that is muscle. And so it's a connective tissue but also has muscle attachments on it. So how we strengthen and increase healthy tension in um, in those tissues in between is through strengthening your muscles around it, but also coordinating it better with how you're moving, how you're breathing. So if you tend to be a breath holder, um, diastasis also can happen in men. (laughs) I think think it happened to me a little bit ago. Yeah, so thinking about men who, and women who either went through a period of significant weight loss after a period of time they can have a diastasis too Mm. along with our chronic breath holders so how the diastasis can affect you is um, going back to our coke can cylindrical type shape where we have the abdominal wall the pelvic floor muscles the back and the diaphragm that balance of how all those muscles are working together might be thrown off a little bit if you have a significant diastasis so thinking about okay what does it mean when it's thrown off okay so we can see 
issues like um, the groin pain, urinary leakage because that coordination of muscles in that system isn't on par. We can see urinary leakage. We can see um, another thing too where diastasis can occur is if, you, if you're a chronic strainer. If you've been struggling with constipation issues your whole life and you're so used to straining, of course that abdominal wall is going to have a little bit more pressure given to it in, in conjunction with that. Your abdominal wall is going to have a little bit more give. So thinking about constipation, someone might have constipation. Any of those things can result in reasons as to why a pelvic floor with the physical therapist might be on your side. Make sure that you see someone who not only looks at your pelvic floor, but also looks at beyond the pelvic floor, how you're moving, um, what, you know, what your movement quality is like, what are the things that really bother um, your symptoms. And then furthermore, making sure that that pelvic floor physical therapist is also asking about sleep. Are you getting enough sleep? Is your diet well balanced? How is everything in that sense in terms of your self-care habits? Because um, I think that's one thing that providers we don't talk enough about. And you know, self-care is huge with being able to make sure that holistically you are healing in a positive way. Um, I always, always, always ask my patients, do you feel supported? Because I think one, not enough providers ask that question because it can be uncomfortable at times. Um, but if someone's going through a chain of medical providers and they've never been asked about their support system, you can be missing a huge component of why they might not be healing as well as you know, you'd know you like them to. So, Especially in pelvic floor physical therapy, there can be a lot of it that is a lot more intimate Absolutely. than some of your other providers. Yes. Like if you're just headed to your doctor or your eye doctor once a year for your annual physical, and if they're... If they would ask you, like, are you being supported? You could just be like, uh, yeah. But if you are working on pelvic floor physical therapy and the doctor is working on parts of your body that maybe have had trauma, not necessarily like in a negative way, but even from birth, or you just don't have that connection with your body. Some Mm -hmm. people might not even have that mind-body connection to begin to realize like, oh, all of this is connected. And when I start taking better care of myself... I'll also begin to speed up my healing and the thought of, are you supportive at home or it just maybe not even at home, but just in general, do you Mm -hmm. have a support system? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting aspect to the work as well. 100%, you know, we're physical therapists, but also, you know, it's really important to look out for those other things too, because a body is not going to heal if the body is not supported. So making sure that your patient um, is being well cared for in a supportive sense is really, really important. So make sure that, you know, your physical therapist or whoever that you're seeing medical provider wise, stick up for yourself, you know, be a good advocate for yourself. And if you aren't feeling supported or um, in general, especially postpartum, something that we don't talk about enough is postpartum depression. That is something that is so key to screen for as a provider, but also um, feel empowered in yourself too to speak up for yourself in that sense if you are going through a darker time postpartum because that's really important for your own health to address. But also I think in the postpartum phase, we're so focused on taking care of baby that sometimes we forget about ourselves too. So, you know, the mother's health, the father's health, um, everyone's health is just as important as babies. So making sure that as a family unit or just as a human, you're taking good care of yourself holistically is so key. What are your thoughts on belly bands or waist trainers? Yeah. Post. Yeah. So that's a good question. So, um, couple things. I guess it really it depends on intentionality for wearing it. Um, I know a lot of physical therapists out there, we... Um, some of us live in the camp of, oh, no, 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 don't wear braces. It's going to not allow your muscles to heal and work and support you. You know, almost like your belly band is trying to act as these external muscles. So because I have a belly band on, my muscles are going to turn off and let the belly band do its thing. Um, I know there's some of us that live in that camp. However, I think the key thing is to educate your patients on 
what the purpose of that is. If it helps with providing some sort of tactile feedback to that area to help it feel a little bit more supported, but also you're working together with someone like a physical therapist to educate and discuss with you how, okay, if it causes you to feel more comfortable and moving in your own body, fine. But here are the things that I want you to also work on functionally when you wear this belly band. Yeah, I can imagine postpartum thinking like, I just got to get this body back. Yeah. I'm not even so worried about the yeah, functionality of it yet. It's been five hours. I'm ready to get my body back. Like, right, yeah. exactly. So you're just like, you know, being fed so many sponsored ads from Instagram on. So you're like, giving birth now. It's time to take the gym. Yeah, like, no, you're like, no, y'all need to chill right. out. a waist yeah. trainer. So yeah. you're like, yeah, okay, I'm just going to give this a try because I'm not really sure yes. what I'm doing and I want to I want to hop on board but right. yeah there's a little bit more of a science absolutely and then so along with the science behind it thinking about we were talking a lot about pressure distribution earlier when you um, especially postpartum if you feel like oh, I gotta suck it in hold my belly tight all of those things can also feed into increased excess pressure on the pelvic floor too if you tend to have some holding patterns in your belly because you're trying to keep it tight after you had a baby but then also if you're struggling with urinary leakage or urgency think about the increased pressure that's also being put on the bladder if you tend to be a belly holder so those are things that we also look at mechanically because those are some things that can also play with that balance of how all the pelvic floor muscles, your belly, your back, and your diaphragm are all working together to support bowel, bladder, sexual function, along with overall day-to-day function. Like, for example, my child is about, let's say, 30 pounds. Mm -hmm. So when I'm going to pick up my child, hold my child, carry him around, body mechanic-wise, something I can do is when I pick him up, like you said, breath on the exertion. So Mm -hmm. when I'm picking him up, making sure I'm breathing instead of holding my breath. Yes. Sort of that action of maybe drawing my belly button in towards my spine Mm -hmm. to protect my core. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm holding him, I think a lot of women tend to, and men do this too, but a lot of women, maybe you're holding consistently on one side and you sort of almost like jut your, your hip forward yeah and kind of bend back a little Mm -hmm. bit to hold the child I feel like that's a pretty common like you're trying to do one thing with your one hand and your other arm is holding you yeah and you're like you know you're sort of pushing your pelvis forward so if anybody suffers from a diastasis like that action of sort of like pushing your pelvis forward and holding your kids like you're just going to undo the work that you just did in your three sets of 10 right 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 so it's like like you're saying how you move throughout the day and how you function throughout the day you need to incorporate these mechanics and it's hard to be conscious of that sometimes because i'll pick him up and i'll just notice i'll look in the mirror and i'll be like oh wow i'm just kind of hanging back here he's holding here i'm putting pressure on my back like Mm -hmm. the you know the bones and not necessarily the muscles or my core because i do not hit the gym enough so (laughs) i have to sit there and think about it and i need to like you know move my hips forward tighten my back muscles engage my abdomen and hold him just in a better way so switching gears a little bit i know that you participate in a lot of research as well yes and you also have other initiatives that you work on to create more awareness for people of color yes so can you talk about that yes so i am a researcher too um i love research so much because it allows me to take the different things that we see in clinic and kind of look at them from a more macro lens to see, okay, you know, maybe we see these barriers that people are coming in with in the clinic that, you know, so-and-so couldn't make a follow-up because of this. Let's look on a larger scale to see how many of these people actually have these barriers and what can we do to better address this as a system. And so when I say system, it's not just the clinician, it's the public health professionals, it's the community partners, it's policymakers. All of those people are so key 
in improving healthcare as a whole. My research is focused on immigrant and refugee health. Um, I'm on the board of directors for a nonprofit called Vitendo for Africa. So it was originally started by Kenyan refugee who came to the States and his goal was to empower those who also came to the States as a refugee to take better ownership and um, have increased knowledge and awareness of how to navigate their lives in a new place. And so going back to the model of the empowering um, educational standpoint, as opposed to this dependency, um, I need help type of model, um, our goal as a nonprofit is to take the more empowering route to give people tools to then allow them to problem solve, navigate effectively, um, with also the help and support of community members too. Right now, our research is focused on mental health, and I think mental health is addressed differently across different you know, cultures, backgrounds, whatever. Getting a better look at mental health, especially with immigrants and refugees, where you know, let's say if mental health wasn't a priority in the country that they're coming from, when people come to the States, you know, not only is job placement, housing, all those things important, but thinking about that transition and where, you know, mental health can lie in that transition as well is also really key to focus in on. And so, um, we have different professionals that we work with in order to produce these research studies. They're mostly community-based research studies, so they're not huge, but um, they do give us some data on what, currently right now, when we're looking at mental health, what that picture looks like um, specifically for the youth in our nonprofit. So we're focusing on youth mental health. So yes, and I, I am so passionate about um, making pelvic health a priority for um, people of color because we do not see enough in clinic, but also in general, I think the way we address pelvic health can be so different and so elevating the vibe <laughs> on what pelvic health should mean to everyone as an individual, as an individual, regardless of gender, race, um, whatever. It's so important to really hone in on with how can we better empower ourselves and know, you know, that it's okay to talk about these issues. There's definitely an education piece that until I had a child. And, or I was pregnant and I had a child, I didn't even think about pelvic floor physical therapy. It was something that I never really even heard of. Of course, I know what a physical therapist is, but I didn't realize that there was even a specialty that was dedicated to pelvic floor therapy. So if there's somebody listening or somebody listening who maybe has a friend or family member that they think could benefit from this, where should someone start when they want to begin to research how to find a therapist? Yeah. So, um, a couple things. If you go on Google, you can look up just pelvic floor physical therapists in my area. Um, along with, I believe there's a pelvic health physical therapist, Finder through the American Physical Therapy Association's um, website. So it's the Academy of Public Health Physical Therapy, and I believe they have a PT locator as well on their database, um, as well as looking at Yelp. You know, you can look at Yelp and see what options you have there. And looking specifically at pelvic floor, because not every physical therapist yes. specializes in the pelvic floor. Yes. So you can look on Yelp and just look up pelvic floor physical therapy and certain places might come up. Um, you'll see us in clinics, um, specialized clinics. Also, hospital systems have pelvic floor physical therapy programs as well. Um, and sometimes, you know, orthopedic pelvic clinics too will also have a pelvic floor physical therapist on staff as well that may, might be able to help you out too. So, um, I would say Google, Yelp, and the PT finder through the American Physical Therapy Association will be your best bet. Now, I want you to leave our audience with a key takeaway. Yes. Because you provided us with like so much valuable information oh i'm glad i'm so <laughs> glad i care about this stuff so much um, so a big takeaway is take care of yourself <laughs> so what does that mean to you you know 
what does feeding your soul, feeding your body, feeding, you know, what makes you you, what does that mean to you? And always going back to that. And I think a lot of the times when people get so lost in a problem and they think of like all these crazy solutions, it's like, okay, wait one second. Am I sleeping well? Am I putting good things in my body that's allowing, you know, the things to come out that needs to come out? <laughs> um, am I putting good things in my body? Am I supported? Am I doing things that bring me joy? All those different things can are excellent things to go back to at the end of the day when you're having some sort of body issue, let's say pelvic pain or urinary leakage, constipation, any of those things. Before you even get too crazy, ask yourself, am I sleeping well? Am I eating good things? Am I supported? Am I doing things that I enjoy? Am I having some sort of regular movement throughout the week that you know encourages blood flow, mobility, motility throughout my system? All those things are really important to go back to. So... Take care of yourself and check in with yourself frequently. And are there any resources, like a parenting resource or even a non-parenting resource that you like, that you would recommend to the audience? Yes! American Physical Therapy Association did an excellent article on the fourth trimester. So the fourth trimester we just see is that postpartum period where, um, you know, your body's healing. But also, what are some good things to know, the common versus normal? Um, so the American Physical Therapy Association, if you Google American Physical Therapy Association, um, fourth we'll link trim- in the show notes also. Yes. And then the link is in the show too. Um, fourth trimester, that'll give you a good idea as to things to think about in that period. Awesome. And where can everyone find you? So I work at Women's Advantage Men's Optimal Health. It's a physical therapy clinic and we are in the South Bay area of LA. So we've got locations in Torrance, Long Beach, and San Pedro. Awesome. And all genders are welcome at the clinic. Bring them all. Yes. (laughs) Bring any type of pelvis you want. (laughs) All pelvis is welcome. You have extra ones just hanging out of the house. Just like, where's the pelvis? Yeah, bring your community of pelvis. Community of pelvis. Yes. 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 Pelvi? Pelvi. I think it is pelvi, for sure. Well, thank you. It was such a pleasure to have you. What I love about the knowledge that you bring is that you do look at the body holistically. Like you even mentioned with your research, you look at the world holistically on this macro level and how all of this intertwines and feeds into not just how we care for ourselves as individuals, but collectively as a community. Absolutely. So thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. So important. Thank you for having me. Yes. And we appreciate you coming on and elevating the vibe. Thanks. Thank you. Peace. Bye. Hey there, Vibe Hive babes. If this podcast has brought you any value, please rate and review on your favorite listening platform. And if you're feeling really generous, share with a friend. Visit us at elevatethevibe.co for show notes on this episode and previous episodes. This podcast is intended to educate, entertain, and inspire. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions you may have. And as always, thank you for joining us to Elevate the Vibe.